Welcome to uh, the Brooks Online Gathering. If this is your first time, and thank you, special welcome. In fact, uh, wherever you are engaging with us from, YouTube, Facebook, there, there's a chat, and one, you know, engage in the chat, but then two, uh, there's, a, there's a link for you that we would love for you to fill out so that we could connect with you, we could find out what's going on in your life and invite you into the life of our church as well. And also, hopefully, if you're a parent, you've been tracking with uh, Canvas Corner, which is how we wanted to engage our, our children in this moment through our children's ministry. And so that link uh, to Canvas Corner is also in the chat as well. Click on that and so that your kids could also have an experience that moves them closer to the heart of God. Special day, it's Mother's Day. It's a day of celebration. If you are a mom, wherever you are, take your right hand, reach it in the air, and just you, just, you feel free to do that right there, especially in this COVID age, all right? And if you are next to a mom, you should hug her. You should hug her, right? Hug her and kiss her, uh, celebrate her. Mother's Day is a unique day. It's a day of celebration, but I know for some of us, it's a day of, of mourning where, where we're actually missing our moms today. And for that, we wanna mourn with you. We may not be able to stand with you presently, but we can stand with you in prayer. And some of us who are actually moms, we're missing our children. Life has seemingly been cruel. And so we've had to bury them as opposed to the other way around. And we want to stand with you in prayer as well. Mothers are significant. I heard it say once that, that life doesn't come with a manual, it comes with a mom. It comes with this beautiful, precious human who nurtures uniquely, who, who <laughs> endures the drain often associated with motherhood to lean into care. And for that, we say thank you. We, we wanna honor and celebrate you today. But for us, we don't wanna just honor and celebrate you today. We want to encourage and continue to encourage like a culture of celebration. And so for us, that means that we're doing this initiative called Mondays are for Moms, starting this Monday, carrying it out all the way to the end of the year, where we're asking people to be uniquely encouraging and specifically pray for their moms. Pray specifically for a mom. That if you're a husband or a father like me, like that could be your wife. But pray specifically for them that God would, would serve them well that day, that God would be near to them that day. Pray for whatever may be on their heart that day, but encourage them uniquely. Encourage them in a way that speaks life to them personally and not generally. And if you're willing, share those stories. Tag us on social that we can celebrate together and be encouraged as in this coming year, we honor our, our moms, single moms, mothers of many children, and, and those who, who, who may be even having a hard go of it, right? Now, if you have a Bible, meet me in Luke. We're going to be at the end of Luke today. We're still in our series, Hide and Seek, where we've been looking at the various ways in which we run and hide from God and the various ways in which God comes and pursues us. He's a God who pursues. Even though we pull away, God presses in. He comes and he pursues. And we've been looking at escapist behaviors, if you will, our go-to methods for pulling away, our go-to methods from, for reserving part of our hearts, our, our go-to methods for isolating ourselves, our go-to methods for cutting off ourselves from the life that we really want and the life that we were made for, escapist behaviors. Jesse hit us with some last week and the fact that we will 
want what God offers more than God himself. And we will use religion to that end or we'll run away altogether to that end. But there's another way There's actually receiving the heart of God. Thank you, Jesse, for that. This week, we're looking at a choice behavior for many of us, especially us in Western society. Busyness. Busyness is a badge of honor for many of us. There's something that's alluring about being busy, having a full schedule. I'm a big deal because <laughs> my schedule is so full. You got to pencil in time with me. But, but busyness is not just a badge of honor. It's a prison. It's a prison. It, it produces shackles, not just on our schedules, but on our souls. You see, busyness isn't an issue of just bad time management, although that exists. But, but really, behind busy lives are anxious or ambitious hearts. Anxious hearts, hearts that are, are, are full of worry. Worry about the past, worry about the, the future, and that worry translates to more activity. Or ambitious hearts, and ambition is good or bad, but ambition often leads to control, to go try and force whatever future you desire into the present now. And when control is what's guiding you, what's true of your life is this level of restlessness. And restlessness ruins the soul. Busyness is a prison that we find ourselves often trapped in. But it also produces a sickness that does tremendous damage to relationships and our souls. There's another alternative. It is the choice way that we hide to avoid dealing with what's beneath the surface by filling the surface with a whole bunch of stuff. It's a, it's a choice way that we hide, but there is another alternative that God offers. Because for some of us, we hear what I just said and they're like, well, it's not that I'm busy. I just have a very full work life. It's not that I'm busy, I just have a very full home life. When the reality is, work life, home life, we aren't segmented beings. They spill over, we're integrated people, we're humans. And so all of life affects all of life. And so, so to, to have a busy home life, a busy work life will always, always show up in how we relate to God. And if busyness defines our relationship with God in a way where we actually can't have one, there's hell to pay eventually. But there's an experience that we're missing out on in the here and now that leads to the future. Luke 10 is, it's a gut check, quite honestly. It punched me in my soul <laughs> like seven times this week. First of all, this whole week was like a punch in my soul. <laughs> But it punched me in my soul seven times. Luke 10 is a gut check, but it also provides a picture of a glorious alternative to a hurried, busy life. And so what, we, what we're going to do is we'll, we'll look at Luke 10. We'll, we'll see some of the dynamics of busyness at work, but then also this alternative that Jesus highlights in the text. And then we'll close with some, some steps to to help us pursue a pace that produces 
a glorious spiritual life. Luke 10, it's, it's loaded, man. It's, it's only a few verses, but they're, they're packed with meaning and intent. Um, read with me, end of Luke 10. Luke 10 reads like this, Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house as she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Mar Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Luke, Luke's gospel is one of my favorite gospels. But like from Luke, like, eight, really six, to about Luke 16, you just get like, you get like the highlight reel of Jesus' life, his earthly ministry. There's just like truth after truth after truth after truth, experience, picture after picture that is like a full-on assault to our hearts. You, you get this reality that Jesus is ruthless, about moving from the surface to the very depths of our souls. You get this picture of, of Jesus's intentionality to reorient the way that we see the world around us and inside us, even in Luke 10. You get one of the most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan, with the conclusion that our neighbor's good is as important as our own. That we should relate to those around us rightly and appropriately because we're relating to God well. And then you get this picture of, well, what does relationship with God well look like? It ain't one that's busy. It ain't one that's marked by busyness. A life marked by busyness will always push God to the margins of their life. And so, so here you get Martha. Very clear. There's some obvious, obvious ways, obvious dynamics of busyness at work. Some more subtle ways, but there's some obvious ones. The obvious ones is what the text even brings out. Martha, she was distracted with much serving. I mean, the immediate question is, well, what is she distracted from and what is she being distracted by? What she's being distracted from is what Jesus is going to highlight as a better portion. We're going to get there. But what she's being distracted by is very interesting. What she's being distracted by isn't actually something that's inherently wrong. She's serving. In fact, Jesus isn't going to rebuke her for her serving. He's going to rebuke her, challenge her, correct her for what's going on beneath the surface. Again, he's ruthless about the heart. And also, earlier in Luke, there's this story in Luke 7 about this, this Pharisee who invites Jesus into his house. Jesus comes in, they're having dinner. This woman hears about it, goes into this Pharisee's house, runs in there, starts weeping and washing Jesus' feet because she had a, a pretty sordid past. The Pharisee's like, yo, if he was really a prophet, he would have known who's wiping his feet. He would have known who he's welcoming. 
And then Jesus says, yo, listen, after telling him a parable, he says, I've been in your house and you haven't even lifted a finger towards me. And he's getting at the man's heart. It's always interesting how two people could do the exact same thing. And for one person, it's trash. And for the other person, it's something to be treasured. The heart matters. Her activity wasn't inherently bad. It was actually good activity of serving. Jesus comes in. I got to get the dishes right. You know, I got to make sure that feet are washed. But in comparison, it was a distraction. You see, often what happens with busyness is we're distracted by what seems to be urgent. And that distraction by the seemingly urgent is a sacrifice of what's ultimately necessary. It's a sacrifice of that. Now, we all do it, and what ends up happening is we sacrifice what's ultimately necessary, what's great, for something that's good, bad, or somewhere in between. She, she's distracted with much serving. Her life is marked by busyness. But there's some other dynamics at work that are that are obvious still, but, but even a little bit more subtle. N notice what she says, right? And so you, you go down one more verse, and, and what she says is to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me here alone? Tell her then to help. Look at her words. You don't care. Tell her to help. Let's, let's, let's go in reverse. Tell her to help. What, what she's doing inadvertently if she's making a value assessment on somebody else's activity and work. Tell her to help because what she's doing isn't as significant as what I'm doing. When our lives are marked by busyness, whether it's intentionally or inadvertently, we create these narratives regarding people and in these caricatures and we start to diminish other people's works. The reason is because pride is, is driving us, anxiety or ambition is driving us, and now our, our eyes are being consumed with an overestimation of our ability and our work and our efforts in such a way where we diminish everybody else's. There's a value assessment being made that's affecting the relationship. But there's not just a value assessment that's being made. There's an assumption that's being made that's affecting the relationship. Notice the conclusion she comes to. Lord, do you not care? Do you not care? That's a pretty strong indictment. Lord, do you not care? It's, it's multifaceted. It's, do you not care about this work? Tell her to come help me. But it's not just, you don't care about this work or you don't care about the things I care about. But it's because you don't care about the things I care about, you don't care about me. It's, it's not just this idea or this experience of ingratitude or, or fear of God's goodness or, or accusing him of, of, of not caring that's attached to how he relates to our work, but it's attached to the relationship. 
you don't care about the things I care about, therefore you don't care about me. We're not unaware of our ability to do that. What I do think we're unaware of is the speed at which we do that. So last week in Miami was very interesting. Like it was like this weird tundra and storm. It was just, it was weird. It was weird. Like last week was just weird in general. Walk outside, it's dark outside, it's raining. Turn on the news, there's like murder hornets that are now coming to America. I'm like, yo, whoever's playing Jumanji needs to stop. Like, you know, like, like Alan Parrish, like Jumanji, right? you know what I mean? Like, like, like Robert in his prime, rest in peace, not necessarily Dwayne Johnson, but it was just like this weird environment. Anyway, because there was all of this rain, like, like the way my driveway is, it, it, it carries water. I don't know what it is, but there is something that lives in the heart of every child that wants to jump in or jump over puddles. And so I just watched my kids like jumping in puddles, but then after a while they would try to jump over it. But I mean, it was this long jump. And so some of my kids are more athletic than the others. And so with energy and effort, they were able to jump the puddle. But again, another one of my kids, I mean, they, they tried to jump in it. It was a bad, was a bad situation. No names will be mentioned. What, what we think is, yeah, it's, we, we, we make that relation. We make that correlation. You don't care about me because you don't care about my stuff. We make that correlation. But the, the speed, the, the time, the, the gap between that cor those correlations, it's like jumping over puddles. So you need energy, you need effort, but it's not like that. It's more like playing hopscotch. It's like the next logical step in front of you. All it really takes is a bad day to make that correlation. You walk in and it seems like somebody has disrespected your time, thus they've now disrespected and devalued you they don't care. You see, when your life is marked by busyness, you will always be on the edge of feeling like somebody is devaluing or disrespecting your time. Thus, they are devaluing and disrespecting you. Thus, busyness will bury the relationship. You're devaluing me? You're disrespecting me? Did I do away with you? It's not just this confusion of urgent with ultimate. It's this creation of a narrative that leads to relational assumptions and the deterioration of those relationships. But it's not just what she said, but it's actually when she said it. So it says, and then she went up to Jesus. That matters, yeah. Now, the text is ambiguous regarding the scope of time. So we don't know if Jesus enters in at 7 o'clock and 7.30, she gets up from all of her chores, all of her serving, all of her busyness and says something needs to give. We don't know if it's 8 o'clock. We don't know how long it takes for her to boil over into confrontation. We don't know when fatigue finally set in. We don't know how long it took for frustration to finally reach its peak. What we do know is that it happened eventually.
Because eventually, busyness will catch up with everyone. It will catch up with all of us eventually. But here's, here's why I think this needs to be noted, why it's noteworthy. What I've seen in our moment in time is this window of weariness, if you will. It's like if you've been walking with Jesus for like between six years to about 12 years, it, it seems like you're, you're more predisposed to just be tired. You're more predisposed to, to give into fatigue. You're more predisposed to be marked by weariness, by blah and bland. And to be marked by weariness in such a way where you walk actually away from God. And what brings us to that window of weariness isn't just if you exist in that time frame per se. What I've seen brings us, brings us to that, that window, honestly, is a couple things. One is this conflict of what I've thought to be true about Jesus and the world around me with experiences that I'm now having. So I have conflicting stuff happening in my heart. I had this picture of Christ, but now I have this potent experience. I don't really know how to wrestle with that. I thought God was a God of justice, but then I see another body in this ground, right? I thought God was a, a God of intentionality and, and care, but look at where we are now. And so there's this conflict that takes place. And when that conflict takes place and we start to wrestle with it, actually apart from God, it brings us to this window of weariness very quickly. But the other thing that brings us to this window of, of weariness where we're marked by blah and bland is the presence of tremendous busyness. It's the replacement of relationship with regiment and routine. And so many of the ways that we invite people into Christianity is you need to do this, you need to do that, stop doing that, stop doing this. It's all of this activity at the expense of growing an identity and experiencing a vibrant relationship. And the words Jesus would have for us is the words that he would have for Martha. You're you're troubled and you're anxious, but you're troubled, anxious, but there's another way available. The other way available also has some dynamics. R read, read with me. Notice what he says. It, you have this contrast, verse 39. And, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. After this conflict where Martha, as she's fed up, she goes to Jesus, tell her to help me. Jesus says, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion and it won't be taken from her. The dynamics are seen, are seen in, in, in the act and then Jesus's assessment of, of Mary's act. Here's the act. She's sitting at Jesus's feet. Simple, but saturated. Simple, but saturated. 
So this sitting at Jesus's feet, it implies attentiveness. It's this posturing. It, she's sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to his teaching. So, so there's an attentiveness to his words. There's, there's this attentiveness to who he is and to his words. There's this affection. It's, it's attentiveness and affection. It's the posture of seeking, if you will, hanging on his every words. But it's not just a posture of seeking. It's the posture of a student. So this is Matthew chapter five. Jesus is getting ready to go up on this mountain and he's going to start to wax eloquent in what is known as a sermon on the mount where Jesus is redefining a life of flourishing. It's very glorious. And as he starts to walk up the mountain, his disciples come with him. He sits down and they come and they sit next to him. And when he ends what is said, not just by his disciples, but what is said by people who were listening is, you know, this is, this is a man who speaks with tremendous authority. And they were astonished. But they stayed because he was speaking with authority. So it's, it's not just this posture of seeking. It's this posture of a student, which means this posture of submission to authority. That is hard for us right now. We exist in the moment where no one is an expert because we all are but that's dangerous and foolish man in the life of our family we have had two pediatricians who are I mean they are amazing Dr. Bataille he was in Atlanta I mean while we we're in Miami like our first year in Miami when we go, whenever we would go to Atlanta we would schedule appointments with him because he was that good Dr. Bataille amazing and recently, Dr. About, pediatric associates, who is tremendous, pediatricians who, who are just wise and they care and they, oh, they're just so tender. Could you imagine, let's say Noah, he's having snot, just dripping from his face, because actually he has allergies, so that's, this is a normal occurrence in our life. And you know, he has snot dripping from his face, I'm like, man, you know, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take him in and go see Dr. Abao. I take her in. Take, and I'm like, Dr. Abao, then this is what's going on with Noah. And she's like, you know what? It just seems like he has allergies. So just make sure that you, you know, you drain his nose, get a sinus flush and, you know, just keep him, keep him calm, keep him comfortable and he'll be fine. And I'm like, you know what, Dr. Abao, th thanks for your opinion. But, you know, I, I was on WebMD and, you know, I looked at the snot and at the angle of the snot, it, it looked like actually he probably has COVID. That would be silly, but that's what we do. That's what we do. We dismiss authority of others out of pride. So there's this posture of seeking, this posture of a student, this posture of submission, which reveals the presence of humility. This recognizing of who God is. Jesus enters in, I'm going to sit at his feet. That's the alternative that's offered, to sit at his feet, to seek him, to submit in a way where you allow him to dictate life. And if he dictates life, do you know what he says? He says, my yoke is easy. Jesus was the most unbothered, unhurried human ever. Yet he lived the most fulfilled life ever imaginable. 
my yoke is easy. But it's not just what she does, her act. It's Jesus' assessment of it. The better portion, uh, that's rich language. You track portion throughout the story of God, throughout the scriptures, and what you see is it communicates treasure and inheritance. Like this, this enormous, expansive possession that both guides and grounds. And so it guides in that it, it shapes. It's so, it's so, it's so good, so, so treasured that it, it transforms every other aspect of life. We all have stuff like that. We have treasures in our life that we move in lockstep with. Get some new shoes and you know that I'm telling the truth. You tiptoe in those bad boys because you don't want to mess them up. They're treasured. And so because they're treasured, they create this train with your heart leading to your actions and your life. And so they're treasured. But it's not just they're, they're guiding you, they're grounding you. So you start to say stuff like Psalm 73 where, 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 where life seems confusing and weird. But the Lord is my portion. And I'll wait on him. He's mine. I'm grounded. As confusing and shifting life is, I'm grounded. Portion. That's what's offered. This sitting and this savoring of God oh, is glorious. But you know what's even more exciting about this? What's exciting about this isn't that what's offered is taking God as a portion, a better portion, a truer portion. What's seen is that God takes us as that. So it starts off and it says, Jesus comes in. Jesus came in and hung with them. And if you, don't, if you don't understand that language of God actually taking people as his portion, this is Deuteronomy 32, 9, where God says that his people are his portion. This is Psalm 74. This is Jeremiah 10. This is Revelation 3, where, where, where Jesus says, I'm, I'm knocking at the door of your heart, saying, let me in. He says, Revelation, and whoever lets me in, I, I will come into them and I will eat with them. I will experience life with them. and They will be with me. They will be my portion and I will be theirs. It's what's offered. And that offer is an indictment. Because often I find that I'm too busy for God. But God's never too busy for me been reading this book The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer it's a great book buy the book put money in his pockets it's a great book and he is just warring against our tendency to live busy lives and he gives us an alternative that the, the scripture just painted for us but in it he also gives us some practical things we could do but they're, they're less like steps as in almost like the science of it because to, to move away from busyness and to move in step when Mar Martha but Mary, that's, that's art and a science. It's not one size fits all. It's not like one size for every situation. It's one size for every soul, 
but not one size for every situation. So they're not necessarily just steps, they're more like rhythms. And he identifies a few of them that I want to leave with you and invite you to do this week. He gives us silence and solitude, which are really spiritual disciplines. It's the pulling away and unplugging all sound. When we do that, we allow our hearts to actually speak. Now, that could be scary. That could be very scary, which is why some of us avoid it. But to have a rhythm of silence and solitude in our lives pushes us into experiencing Jesus as our better portion, silence and solitude. The other is Sabbath. Now that, that's a very Christian word and okay, cool. But it, it means to rest, it's to, to do nothing. The, the, the idea of Sabbath is to remove the restraints. It's to, to intentionally remember who controls it all. It's to rest. It's to rest. Biblical rest is something that we enjoy, not something that we earn. Biblical rest is only enjoyed when we actually know Jesus. When we, when we move from trying to create life as we please to enjoying life as God has designed it, when we move from work and effort as the primary marker of our lives to grace because we're receiving the grace God gives demonstrated by dying, removing barriers of relationship, and then living in people to further the relationship in joy. It's not something that we earn, it's something that we enjoy, and it's not something that we get to eventually, it's something that we begin with. We live from a place of rest, Sabbath. Simplicity, to uncomplicate life. Most of the complications that we have, again, they're not attached to commitments within our schedule. They're attached to concerns within our soul. So the more that we simplify, the more we're able to see what matters most. And the last is to actually slow down. It's to slow down. We are the only people who will put something in a microwave for a minute and 30. And when 30 seconds is left, we take it out the microwave. We are the people who we will drive to a place and right before we get to a full stop, we will unbuckle our seatbelt. Always on the move. It's to slow down, to not rush, to stop and allow God to blow your mind with the world that he's created. It's not complex, it's just costly. But what we gain, what we gain changes everything. And that's the heart that if your life is marked by busyness right now, that as God has given you a holy reset, that you would actually take it. That you would actually take it. And to that end, let's pray. Jesus, I find that there's some stuff that's easier said than done. But God, just because something is easier said than done 
doesn't mean it needs to go unsaid, unspoken. The offer is on the other side of faith. The offer is a gift of grace. God, thank you that who you are produces faith in us. Thank you that you give generous gifts like the one that we just read. God, I pray for the courage to start to create rhythms that reflect what matters the most, which is knowing you, experiencing you, sitting at your feet, and getting up changed. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.